In today's episode, we're going to cover the one leadership principle. It's going to make sure you retain your best team members and set you up so they're making all the great decisions so you don't have to. I'm Johnny Page. I'm Matt Verlech. And this is the South County Podcast. All right, Matt, here we are for another podcast episode. And I'm, I'm excited for this one, man. I remember when you posted the clip that shared this idea, the tip of the iceberg. Today, we're going to look at all that's under that tip of the iceberg and really unpack how A players thrive in context. So why don't you kick us off? Tell us the day, the time when this became a revelation for you and it's something that you lean on. Yeah, man. It's like, it's interesting. You know, I, I can think of a lot of times over my life where I was on the receiving end of not having context, right? And I felt like if I had only had XYZ piece of information, I could have made a better decision. But but what I'll share is when I was on the flip side, where I feel like I unlocked some really good outcomes for our company based on a decision. Because I remember this to the day, dude, it was the day we decided to open the financial books for our leadership team, right? Which historically we hadn't done it's funny, I have notes and I wrote down I was super nervous, but that's an under, like I was terrified. You want to use the right word? Like I wasn't, because I just wasn't sure how it was going to go, right? And I always have this funny saying, I'm like, words are like toothpaste, right? You can't put it back in the tube. Like once you once you open the books and have all the conversations, it's just, there's a lot there. And I really wanted to make mm-hmm. sure that we nailed it. I didn't know like, how are they going to react? What kind of questions are they going to have? Am I going to have the right answers for the questions? It's so like, we'll talk about all this, but basically the way we approach it, I did a training. I think you remember you were on this call, right? I did a training for everyone, literally like how to read a PL, what do our financial health metrics look like? And the downstream effect of giving them that context, every single director on our leadership team, I can honestly say like it changed the way that they lead their teams. It changed the way they make decisions like 10x for the better. And it was in that moment, really with like the probably the month after we opened the books and I did that class that I realized that by not sharing all the numbers with those people prior, I'd actually been denying them like the context that they needed to like find the next gear and fulfill their potential. And so that was, was kind of a sobering realization to me because I wasn't actively hurting them. Right. But just by doing what we had always done the way we'd always done it, I was denying them like some critical ingredients to, to their own performance, which was a bummer. It's not the kind of leader I like to be. So that really kind of like burned it into my brain. I'm curious when you mentioned at the beginning that you had experience of not having context, what was that like? Let's go on the flip side. You know, we'll yeah. unpack the story of you providing more context for our senior leadership team and the downstream effects of that. What was it like to not have the context? You know, I think the easiest way that I could probably put it is I felt like like you ever drop something in your room at night and it's dark and you're like fumbling around trying to find something on your bedside table and like you like can find a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe you pick up a Kindle, but you're looking for your phone or whatever, you know, you're just kind of yeah. like fumbling around trying to figure stuff out. It was like that, but with, a, you know, a thousand times the effort, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, I can remember some specific cases where I was trying to like build a business case on a financial decision but I didn't have like all the profit numbers or I didn't have, this is in a, not here in a different company, right? But I didn't have all of the, the data points that I needed in order to make a good decision. And the thing that got me as someone who, you know, I consider myself a pretty high performer, I want to do a good job, is I put in a ton of work with the information I had trying to get to a conclusion. 
And then the person who I had to give that to told me in about 47 seconds, hey, this whole thing is actually wrong because this number needs to be X, not Y. And I was just like, man, if you had just told me that before, it's not that I'm not capable of making a good decision. I just can't make it in a vacuum. And so like situations like that are what made me really just internally commit to never setting my own team up to be in that situation. Yep. Yep. Can I tell you one, you know, another very similar experience yep. of not having context. So when we sold Silvertrack, we were acquired by a private equity company that did a roll-up strategy. So there's four companies that all came together. So I find myself in the senior leadership team, but in a very different role than what I had been used to. And one day I was asked, Hey, I need you to run an, an experiment of what would it look like if you had half the team members on your team? Like, what would you do? And then over the next two or three weeks, spoiler alert, we were preparing for a reduction of forces. This was right in the middle of COVID. But I had, it, you know, over the next several weeks, I got one constraint after the next. We eventually landed on a great plan, but I spent so much rework not having all of the context up front. You have one detail at a time. They see version one of the plan, then you go back and you have more questions and you got to go to another version. If you had all the context up front around what do we try, what do we think is going to happen? You know, what are we trying to avoid? What's important to us long term? I'd have made a much better version of that plan. And so your senior leaders end up having a bunch of fatigue or creating a bunch of rework. So not only is it your most expensive form of work, like your highest hourly rate for those people, but it's extremely frustrating to be on the receiving end of wanting to think of the company's best interests in mind and wanting to make the best possible decision, but just not having the context for it. So I think that, you know, you themed the the title of the episode is A Players Thrive in Context. Matt, you've got a couple of principles that you lean on when you're trying to provide some context. Why don't we unpack those? Yeah, I think the first one, I'm going to go to the man himself, uh, a little quote from Warren Buffett, right? But he wrote something, he said, the CEO who misleads others in public may eventually mislead himself in private. And, you know, the way that I interpret that is like, if you're, and it doesn't have to be a CEO, don't get hung up on the title, but if you're any leader in a company and you know that you have to show your work to smart people who are also invested in the same outcome that you're invested in, you will be better prepared. Like we can apply that to you and me, John, you're running SAS Academy, right? I know that if I have to put together a plan and I'm going to bring it to you and you're going to beat it up and poke some holes in it, I'm going to spend more time on it, knowing that I've got the Mm -hmm. answers and the data for whatever questions I think you're going to ask, right? If you work in a silo, you don't have that. So all that to say, like the first principle is really about a why, right? Remembering why it's important to be transparent is that transparency drives clarity of thought, right? And so if you remember one thing, it's not about being transparent for the sake of being transparent. Like I'm not going to open our books and put them on Twitter, (laughs) right? But for a specific purpose, it drives clarity of thought for the leader and it lets the consumers of that data, in our case, our leadership team, for the example we're talking about, also consume that data and make better decisions. Because like I can tell you now, man, like I spend more time and effort doing financial reporting, more time crafting the narrative around the numbers, more time on like root cause analysis about why numbers change than I ever did before we opened the books. And it's not that I didn't understand it before, just that I got to be able to explain it now. So I think principle one is that transparency drives clarity of thought. That's where we start. You'll be a better leader just by being transparent. They're coupled very tightly. You know, I think the most important principle out of any of these is that information without knowledge, that's a dangerous game to play, right? And so I think one of the best decisions I made when we were open in the books, just to keep using that example for a sec, is like that course that I did on how to read financial statements, what 
like the health of our business looked like financially, just to make sure that people knew what they were looking at. And more importantly, so they knew what winning looked like, right? So if we had a number we needed to change from X to Y, like they knew the target because man, like in the absence of good information, people will fill that void with their own assumptions, right? So I just find it's better to teach up front, get everyone on the same page. And, you know, I'll ask you because like you were on that call, like what unlocks did you see with the team when we walked through that session? I think that was one of my better moments. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just a matter of explaining the why behind things right when we say a players thrive in context what we're talking about is is giving enough information about how we got here why we got here where we're going why that's important it's like you could explain the fact but it's all of the conversation and realizations that have happened leading up to that moment so yeah. when you sit down and you say hey we're going to share the pnl i think to your point on information is dangerous <laughs> without knowledge it is the knowledge is all the context around it. So like sharing, here's how to read the PL, and then here are our health metrics and here is why they're important. Why is it important us for, for us to hit certain targets? How does that inform our hiring? How does that inform our financial decisions and making them a part of that decision-making process? What happened was it takes you and I from being the financial stewards of the organization and it pushes that down to the senior leadership team so that everyone's participating so the level of understanding that it forces you and i to be at and then the number of corners we can see around because we got eight people looking at this and not just two it unlocks a ton so i think taking the way you sequenced it of like not only we're going to open up the books but we're going to teach what do we value first mm-hmm. leading with a first principles approach so then when we look at the individual PL, we can see around the corners like what is not lining up here and why and how should that inform how we make decisions is a big game changer in terms just of the level of ownership and the decision making quality that came from that team yeah well, i think so too man and kudos to the team for using the context and you know making great decisions from it which like the third principle that i jotted down and we were riffing on this is is like there's an old saying right it's like you can plan the fight or you can fight the plan right and so i think that like you know we are big in our company and if you're listening to this and you're a leader like this is a really good one to grab onto that we lead through ownership of outcomes not through delegation of tasks there are zero people in our company that follow a punch list to do their job we're not stamping widgets at the factory here right we're doing knowledge work we're driving outcomes that are you know measurable outcomes and so I think within that context, people can own their outcomes better when they can own the journey that it took them to like get to the point of making a decision, right? And so like kind of what your example was, you know, if you drive all the way down the path and then Johnny, the boss has to tell them no, because you have a data point that they didn't have, it feels like an epic waste of time. And notice that we said A players thrive in context, C players, they won't worry about getting their time wasted as much, but like for me, like, man, that's a cardinal sin for me, right? I'd rather someone punch me in the face than like waste a day of my work. You know, mm-hmm. if you can just make sure that that never happens to someone on your team, right? Or if you just give them the data up front, it doesn't have to be finance. That just is the example of the day, right? But any project that they're working on, just give people everything. As a leader, don't cling to the decisions. Don't cling to like the sense of importance. Like, oh, I need to like, hoard this information. Some people do that. It's crazy to me. Like, I I don't want to make any decisions, right? It doesn't mean I'm not responsible for the outcome. I want my team to make all the decisions. If nothing else, just 
lead by giving people all the information that you possibly can. And they might just impress you with the quality of their thought, you know? Yeah. Matt, let's look for a second on what does that look like? You know, this is the example you're using on opening up the books. It looks like, you know, sharing the PL and the monthly performance. If we are saying we want to provide context, there's a rhythm that we go through when we kick off a project. In fact, this goes to the like 10-80-10 principle that if you're going to lead through outcomes, we, we're involved heavily as a leader on the first 10%. The team takes the middle 80% and does you know the majority of the work. And then you're there for the final 10% for approval and fine-tuning before whatever the project it is gets shipped. Yep. That first 10%, when we're talking about providing context, we're answering questions like, you know, what does success look like? What does it not look like? Yeah. You know, what has to be true? That's where that build context building looks like. What other questions do you ask? Like what what else does giving context look like? If it's not opening up the books, I listed a couple of questions. What else do you use to help make sure that, you know, a leader or a high performer has all the context they need when they go solve a problem? Yeah. I think about it from the the standpoint of the organizational structure, right? And this is like this is less important if your company's got six or eight people in it, but you know, very important if your company has 40 or especially if they have, you know, 400, right? Is when I'm looking at providing context, I assume that a leader knows what's happening in their orbit, in their world, in their team, the way that they see the problem. But I look at my job is to make sure that we can connect the dots to all the other departments and the other silos that we might have so we can see the sum of the parts, right? A, a great example, for instance, is like making sure that sales teams are in tune with like what the primary reasons are the people churn, right? Because that might change how the sales team does their pitch. And just because a sales team can change the way that they're doing a pitch to get better win rates, if they're not necessarily in the loop on like the long-term value and retention of those people who are winning the deals from, right? If that loop doesn't get closed in isolation, they might feel like they're crushing, but really what you've actually done is decreased your lifetime value of that customer by 50% because they're churning, mm -hmm. you know, at an outsized rate. So it's like in isolation, they might feel like they did a great job, but because they didn't have the context, they couldn't actually play the long game. And so a lot of people mm -hmm. accept situations like that. And they're like, oh, sales and CS, we're going to fight. Like, I don't buy that ever. You know, we're yeah. one team, but if you don't have the data, you can't solve the problem. Yeah. You know, there's a, one other lens to look at this through, Matt, or what rhythms do we have as a company that we'd recommend other companies have to build yeah. context? So I gave a couple of questions on that you could use at a project kickoff. Let's talk about the rhythms that a company should have in place to build context as well. Because what you're hinting at here is there should be a rhythm between your sales and your customer success teams. You want to close the loop. If sales is sending people over the fence all the time, we want to figure out what creates negative outcomes and what creates positive outcomes. What other rhythms would exist in a company that's building context for people to make better decisions? So I think in between the teams, there's like there's two answers, like within a team and then in between teams, right? So for me, in between the teams, like the the meeting rhythm is the weekly sync for sure, right? So like in our world, every team meets every Monday, our leadership team meets every Tuesday, and that's a cross-functional meeting of all the directors. And so the expectation, it's not a hope, it's an expectation is that if there's a cross-functional issue that needs to get solved, the leaders bring it to that Tuesday call. There's a reason we do that a day after the team, right? So mm -hmm. like we start in the team, yeah. boots on the ground, front lines, if everything needs to get elevated, we do that. So like yeah. there's a weekly touch point to solve cross-functional problems. So 
That's the first one. The second is your example about having a like a project rhythm, right? Especially for mm-hmm. things that are what we call quarterly rocks, kind of like EOS, right? Like our big quarterly projects. We need to have the answers to the questions you asked earlier, right? Mm-hmm. What does success look like? How are we measuring it? What's what needs to be true, et cetera, et cetera? What's the budget? All that kind of stuff. So I feel like that's super important. And then the third is a little bit more ad hoc, but when you have like recurring cross-functional I don't want to call them problems, but, you know, opportunities to align like the churn, like there should be a recurring touch point every couple of weeks between sales and CS where we were doing a review of like each, you know, account that might not have panned out. What, how could mm-hmm. sales might have tweaked their approach? How could CS might have tweaked their approach to, you know, better deliver? Like every churn is a just there's X is what they think they're buying. Y is what they actually bought. People churn if the gap between those things is too large, right? And the way to close that is by communicating and and solving the problems. That's like outside of, I think, the normal running the business rhythm is if you have a recurring thing that you need to stay close to, get the people, like build a rhythm, look at it every couple of weeks. Like, Mm -hmm. man, I mean, the the root cause of everything in business is just communication, you know, and desire to solve it. Yeah, man. The other one that I think that we do that is incredibly helpful is an all hands, right? Yeah. Every month we we sit down after a month closes and every senior leader, so every department head gives a report on what, how, you know, how did the department perform this quarter or this month according to our goals and what is on tap for next month? Like what is required for us to win the month next time? So yeah. it's this great rhythm for every person in the company. And then there's open Q&A for it at the end to say, you know, what questions do you have for marketing? So regardless of where you're at, you've got the information around like, how's the company performing? And I think that provides a lot of you know, context that it's not normal in most companies. I've certainly operated, I've operated in companies with and without a great all hands, you know, at, the, at a certain stage, your weekly sync is essentially an all hands as you get bigger and companies, individual contributors become more isolated. That all hands becomes much more important to provide context on, on how are things working. It's at least the jumping off point for more conversations and offline, if you will, like, Hey, totally. you know, I'm in sales and I'm recognizing there's some challenges happening in marketing. I think I got some perspective on how we can solve them. Now I know who to go to. If that all hands doesn't exist, you don't get a lot of that context. Yeah. And it's funny because like, as your company grows, like the things that work for you at certain sizes, they're going to stop fitting into that box. Right. Because even the, the change we did a couple of months ago, it's like, we can't even fit all the context into a 60 minute all hands now that we want to. And so now we, then we, in addition to the all hands, now we're doing weekly employee newsletters, right. Where we can get into like weekly performance metrics on sales and retention and projects and progress on initiatives and stuff like that. It's just wild. Like the bigger your company gets, you'll start to outgrow these confines that you've put in yourself. And it's so tempting to just be like, Oh, that doesn't work anymore. We'll just stop doing it. But really you just, Sometimes you need to adjust what you're doing and just move it down into a team or move it down into a more frequent touch point. Something you do to make it a little more bite-sized, right? Like your example is great where the weekly sync when you're six people is the all hands. You don't need both. Mm-hmm. And then when you have six different weekly syncs because you have teams, you need an all hands. Then we have so much yeah. that you can't fit into an all hands. You need a weekly touch points. Like the newsletter is essentially an asynchronous all hands, right? You got to keep adapting to keep the flow of information going. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, this has been awesome. Let's kind of recap A players thriving context. Let's summarize all that we've covered here and wrap it up. Totally. Top three things. Number one, transparency as a leader is a healthy value to lean into. So if you're leading a team, 
look in the mirror, ask yourself, am I being as transparent as I possibly can? Is there information I can give to people that I'm currently hoarding and keeping to myself? It will make you a better leader. Number two, teach people what they're looking at. Don't give them that information without also giving them the knowledge on how they can use it properly. And number three, if you give them the context to make the call right the first time, they're going to be bought in on their own plan and you're not going to waste their time. Because if you waste a player's time, sooner or later, they're going to go somewhere where they're not going to get their time wasted. You do those three things, you'd be in pretty good shape. Yeah, dude, really, really great points, guys. Take this context and in background that you provided little meta there take the context go provide your teams more context help them make better decisions you'll have a players running to you because they'll feel a level of ownership and authority over what they're doing a level of buy-in that they won't have if you're just delegating the task so matt thanks for bringing the fire today appreciate it dude love it see you guys